Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You might have a few hundred or even a few thousand pounds in your investment portfolio right now. But what if you had billions? Well, I think it would actually be, be easy to overstate the differences. You know, ultimately, we should, we should all have the same goal, and that's of growing value over, over the very long term. My guest on the podcast today is at the helm of an asset management company running hundreds of billions of pounds worth of investors' cash. Meet Malcolm McColl. I'm a, a global equity specialist at Bailey Gifford, helping to manage uh, what we call our Global Alpha Fund, as well as the Monks Investment Trust. Um, And as of April of this year, I'm also one of the firm's two managing partners. He's one of the most senior fund managers at Bailey Gifford, the Scottish fund management giant with a track record of impressive returns on visionary stock picks. Uh, We manage around £350 billion in client assets, uh, predominantly in growth equities. And the business is wholly owned by 47 partners who work full time in the business. Their outperformance stems from getting involved with fast-growing companies of the future, at an early stage. We've been one of the the largest outside investors in Amazon for the past 15 years, in in Tesla for the past 10 years, and currently we're one of the largest holders of Moderna, the vaccine business. These are the types of businesses that we're naturally drawn towards. In fact, since Bailey Gifford first invested in Tesla in 2013, shares in the electric car maker have rocketed by nearly 9,000%. Well, hold that call with Elon. Malcolm's going to be talking to us for the next 20 minutes with an investment masterclass that will help you learn how to evaluate what could make a great investment. The obvious money clinic disclaimers apply. This podcast is a general discussion about investment and does not constitute a recommendation or individual financial advice. But Malcolm is going to reveal the methods the Bailey Gifford team in Edinburgh used to pick so many winners and how you, could potentially emulate these. I mean, one of the things that, that that we talk about again, just to try to sort of stretch our thinking, sometimes is is the concept of a coffee can portfolio. Um, you know, if you were to take uh, twenty stocks, let's say, and and put them into a coffee can for twenty years, uh, you know, you could not touch them. You had to buy and hold. What would those businesses be? But it's not all plain sailing. Bailey Gifford is a big backer of Chinese tech companies like Ant Group, Baidu and Tencent, which have had a rocky performance recently. We'll be hearing Malcolm's views on the outlook for that market, as well as getting some insight from FT columnist Merrin Somerset-Webb. Welcome to Money Clinic, the weekly podcast about personal finance and investing from the Financial Times. I'm Claire Barrett, the FT's consumer editor. There are different types of investor out there, from passive investors who put their money into trackers each month, and those more active investors who want to choose their own funds or stocks. Now, if the latter sounds more like you, or if you're attracted to the idea of stock picking shares in individual companies, 
then listen up. This week's episode offers a rare insight into how one of the most successful investment management firms weighs up which companies to invest in. Today's Investment Masterclass is with fund manager and joint managing partner at Bailey Gifford, Malcolm McColl. If I had to tell you my top three facts about Bailey Gifford, they would probably be their investment funds have a focus on tech, they take a very long-term approach, and they were among the earliest investors in tech giants, including Tesla and Amazon. Private ownership gives us uh, a stability which is extremely rare uh, and allows us to be patient in the most impatient of industries. In fact, they used to have a sign hanging over the door of their Edinburgh office saying, actual investors think in decades, not quarters. As an investor, you might have seen Bailey Gifford's name on different funds and investment trusts that they manage. Each contains a different blend of underlying investments, handpicked by their fund managers. These sorts of investments are what we call actively managed. A manager is picking stocks they think will beat the wider market. Although there's no guarantee they'll be able to do this, the fees are higher for actively managed funds and trusts than passive tracker funds that track the wider market. On the line from Edinburgh, I asked Malcolm about his typical day. Well, the, d- the days are hugely varied. I mean, at the heart of the task, it's about identifying fantastic businesses with exciting long-term prospects. So I spend my time speaking to companies, uh, speaking to colleagues about their developing ideas, uh, learning broadly about industries, exploring mental models, and, and an awful lot more. There's no point in allowing yourself to be trapped in the financial industry bubble. Uh, if you're trapped in that way, you're never likely to add any value. Being based 400 miles away from the city of London gives Malcolm and his colleagues space to concentrate on what's really important, finding the best companies to invest in for the long term. Getting away from the sort of the drumbeat uh, of, the, of the major financial centres is important. I'd, I'd say that you know, not being in, in, in London, not being in New York, not being based in Hong Kong, th- these are good things for us. The Financial Times has its headquarters in the city of London because we need to be where the news happens. But for Malcolm, the noise of everyday news can distract from the signals that long-term investors are looking for. This isn't a job where more information automatically allows you to make better decisions. Often it's actually quite, quite, the, quite the opposite. The skill is really determining what, what is signal and, and, and what, what are the pieces of information that you really should be discarding. So how can investors determine what's just noise and what's a genuine signal to buy or sell? Lesson number one, according to Malcolm, is to have an investment hypothesis. When we're looking at any individual company, we, we will develop what we call a forward-looking hypothesis. Well, that will tell us, you know, how do we expect this investment to play out over time? And what, what, what are, the, what are the, the signals which will tell us that it's working out well? And what are the signals which will tell us that it's working out poorly? Fund managers make an investment hypothesis shorthand for how they think different scenarios might affect a given company's future valuation and profit-generating ability, and then work out ways to test it. One example of this from a few years ago is when Bailey Gifford invested in the cruise liner company, Royal Caribbean. When we first got involved in that, uh, the the primary thought was that, uh, you know, the industry was in the doldrums. There had been lots of consolidation in the cruise industry, weaker players being gobbled up by bigger ones, and this had reduced capacity. So Malcolm's investment hypothesis was that when demand for cruise ship holidays returned, 
dominant operators like Royal Caribbean would be able to increase their prices and their profits. This wasn't reflected in the company's valuation or share price. The result? Bailey Gifford got a very significant return on its investment. Now, the thing that we were watching above all else was, was supply-side discipline within the industry. And basically, were people building more boats or not? And there, the forward-looking hypothesis was very clear. The biggest threat to the performance of this investment was more cruise ship capacity coming through. Rival operators could then drop the prices of cruise holidays to compete, putting pressure on Royal Caribbean to do the same. So Malcolm's team kept a close eye on this indicator. After seven years, they saw a signal to sell up. And of course, as that played out positively, we had the conviction to continue with the position, even with the shares at a higher level. And then eventually, when we saw things uh, starting to change with regards to the supply side, we felt it was time to move on. That was an investment that did work out. But how could having an investment hypothesis help you identify a bad decision? If you've got information which is undermining your thesis coming through uh, and you think that that is, it is real signal, it is going to tell you to sell. And you can say, fine, I, I saw that this was a plausible outcome. That doesn't mean I'm, I'm stupid. Uh, you know, it, it's information that I need to act upon. Fund managers hope to pick the most exciting companies that stand to grow fast and generate a lot of profits for their investors. Bailey Gifford calls this the alpha strategy. I asked Malcolm what this means. So our, our global alpha strategy is uh, it's a 100 stock, so diversified, best ideas uh, growth portfolio with a five to 10 year time horizon. So it's, it's very long term in the context of the investment world. Our team thinks of itself as, as sitting at the heart of, of Bailey Gifford's investment effort, so harnessing the skill of all, all of our all, all of our stock pickers. Our hurdle rate for inclusion into the portfolio is, is the ability for a company to double in value on a five-year basis. We invest in what we regard as being you know, rapid or high growth names. Such as game-changing businesses like Amazon or education industry disruptor Chegg. But we also invest in, in more stalwart-like businesses and, and in cyclical growers, where, where often you get the opportunity to get involved in those companies uh, when others are quite fearful. But again, going back to the Royal Caribbean example, we were buying that when others were very fearful about the, the industry. That provides the portfolio with a degree of balance. But tech companies are not the only source of growth. Cyclical stocks, whose profits tend to rise and fall with the economic cycle, could be another option. Often, these are more consumer-focused companies, such as housing-related businesses, operators in the leisure sector, or even media companies. So, what would be a good example of a cyclical business that Bailey Gifford has decided could make a great future investment? So, to give you one example of that just now would be um, the sort of aggregate cement and building materials business CRH, which is headquartered in Ireland, but has a huge business uh, out in the United States. Uh, and they're, they're actually doing a huge amount as well to, to uh, actually push their business forwards with regards to cleaner technologies. And we think that that can give them a critical edge over the longer term. So we're equally happy to own these types of businesses. But again, they have to hit our hurdle rates. These are, these, that, that's, that's something which is non-negotiable. Something else which is non-negotiable at Bailey Gifford is Malcolm's investment lesson number two. Always take a long-term view. What long-term investing allows you to do, it, it, it's allowing you to benefit from the underlying powers of compounding. Um, and it's also allowing the, the, the high quality businesses that you're going after to deliver for you. So it's doing all of the heavy lifting. 
Um, so owning businesses for long periods of time, it just plays to your advantage. So naturally, I couldn't resist asking about one of the biggest short-term investment trends of the year, GameStop. Yeah, it's not one that I uh, feel personally uh, comfortable with. Um, I think, again, it's that stretching out the time horizon. You know, do you, do you fundamentally believe that this business is going to be larger and more profitable? Do you think it's going to be more valuable, yes or no? And that's the question that we should be asking ourselves. Mm, interesting. So would you rather have an ASOS, for example, over an M&S? I don't know. I mean, maybe they could both be successful, but I suspect many people would probably buy us in one direction there. <laughs> okay, nicely dodged. Lesson number three, invest time in doing your research. As a fund manager, how do you go about kicking the tyres and researching companies? And how could listeners aim to emulate some of those techniques? I think the first place to start for myself would actually be, you know, the, the company's sort of investor websites, uh, because there you're able to get your hands on how they are presenting themselves to the outside world. If you're looking at individual stocks, uh, by just Googling around, you'll quickly find those investment houses who have got sort of, sort of significant positions in those companies will likely have a commentary about those companies, again, online that is free, free for you to access. I talked to Malcolm about what is arguably Bailey Gifford's most successful investment, Tesla. So when we were making that decision, none of us in our team felt remotely comfortable uh, you know, with regards to what was what was in front of us because the business was was loss making. You're having to be very imaginative about you know considering where that company could go towards. Uh, the thought of electric cars taking over the world that was that was fantasy at that point, and I'd put that down as being one of the one of the biggest and best decisions that we've made over the course of the last several years. How about an investment decision that didn't work out the way you wanted? How did you deal with that? So I guess I, the, the, the first thing to say is that lots of different investment decisions will not work out. And you need to be sort of comfortable with that, I guess, as, 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 a, as a professional investor. I'd actually say, though, that our worst decisions have been those when we've been uh, actually selling down company positions far too early and not running for long enough. So we still own Tesla, uh, but we should own more of it because we sold it uh, on the way up three times. In tandem with its investments in Silicon Valley, Bailey Gifford has had huge success with Chinese stocks like Alibaba and Tencent. Malcolm remains bullish about prospects there in spite of some of the worst months for investors since the financial crisis of 2008. Foreign investors have been left nursing huge losses after China's government clamped down on some of its fastest-growing tech giants, precisely the type of fast-growing companies that feature in Bailey Gifford's funds and investment trusts. Isn't this a massive risk? My instinct is that many of these developments are not nearly as concerning as some might have you believe. So you know, China developing its regulatory framework is not a bad thing. What, what, what is difficult for people is that they do it at such a pace that you don't see things necessarily coming. And that can feel terribly unsettling. But actually, you know, if, if, if we think about the fact that many of these things, you know, what, 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 sorry, what, some of these things that they're doing, they're, they're, they're putting regulation in place uh, that protects children from spending too much time, you know, playing video games. I mean, that they're... They're putting in protections of rights of gig economy workers. They're stopping differential pricing on the internet through digital 
digital profiling. These are not bad things. Uh, th these are actually quite sensible uh, regulations being put into place. So, yes, there, there is a reset going on, which may actually impair the near-term profits of some of the businesses, including some of those that we, we, we invest in. But ultimately, I actually think that it might also make these businesses more sustainable and that some of these moves are actually terribly sensible. Malcolm's response struck me as pretty sanguine. Other investors, like the FT's own Merrin Somerset Webb, feel rather differently. I spoke to her about this issue at the FT Weekend Festival back in September. It did very well for a while, but as you will all know, if you are invested in China, the last uh, six months have been absolutely awful uh, for your Chinese funds. And there's a very simple reason for that. And again, if you've been watching the news, you'll, you'll know the reason, which is that for a long time we have all been, um, or well, analysts have been pricing China as though everything listed there was uh, the product of a capitalist economy. And everyone is now beginning to learn that it is not a capitalist economy and that it does not run like one. And the uh, priorities of the Chinese government are very different to the priorities of, say, a Western government. Or the priorities may be the same, but the method of getting to the goal is, is very, very different. So one example Merrin points to is the banning of online tutoring companies from making a profit. Yes, really which happened in China back in the summer. Yes, and I, one of the things I say in my column is I, I love the fact that people are going, oh my God, you know, they've been banned from making profits and, and the, the share prices have fallen by 95%. I'm like, only 95%? You know, if, if the entire point, the entire point of what we all do when we invest is to invest in companies that make a profit and over time return that profit to us in the form of dividends, I mean, that's it. Whatever anyone tells you about why you're investing and wibbling away about growth and capital gains and blah, 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 the end game of everything you buy is the same. This company will make profits, and whether it's now or later, those profits will be returned to me in the form of dividends. So you find a company that's been told very explicitly by the government, do you know what, actually, you don't get to do that anymore. Why is it not worth zero? Why is it worth 5% of its old value? And what that's telling you is that even now, we are way too optimistic about all sorts of things in the market. You know, the fact that we haven't gone to zero tells you there's a, some people out there who just aren't quite getting it yet. I asked Merrin, what's motivating this step change in regulation? We know that the Chinese government has said that they would like to move into an era where they focus not on the idea of let's get rich first, and then deal with the problems that throws up later. They've done that bit, and now they're at the bit where they say, well, let's go for a common prosperity. Let's find a new kind of equality. Let's make the big companies give more to society, give back to society. And remember that, of course, you know, whether, whether you want to look at it this way or not, every couple of billion uh, dollars that Tencent is required to give back to society is money that you won't eventually get in dividends. But in China now, you actually do see the return of political risk, and you need to look at what you've got and say, uh, you know, am I, am I overpaying for something that's much more risky than I believed it was? Regardless, Bailey Gifford still has faith in the Chinese market. But I think that fundamentally, China is, is, a, is a country where they want to see businesses succeed over very long periods of time, um, that they understand the need for external capital. Um, and that, again, then putting this regulatory framework into place or putting more regulatory frameworks into place is actually something which should be welcomed rather than feared. Taking a long-term view might be a good investment principle, but Bailey Gifford has come under fire for its pro-China stance. This is where being a private company, wholly owned by its partners, has its advantages. So what we do is we invest in, yes, growing businesses, but ones that we believe to be undervalued on a long-term basis. 
And over the past 15 to 20 years, uh, you know, we, we've been living through a period of massive change, which has been driven by you know, the digital revolution uh, and, and also actually the re-emergence, I think, of the East as an economic powerhouse. And these changes have created massive opportunities for, for innovative and ambitious companies to come in and challenge incumbents. So thinking that things will go back towards some form of normal. My argument would be that there is no form of normal during a period of change. But with markets around the world touching all-time highs and tech companies valued at many times their future annual profits, can pursuing a growth strategy realistically continue to reap rewards? And I don't think that the period of change is over. In fact, in many regards, I think it's just getting going. So I think that the opportunity set for ourselves is expanding. It's not reducing. And so that, that would be my, my personal take on things is that, you know, that there's, there's a lot more to go for here. So what trends of the future should younger investors consider putting in their coffee cans that Malcolm told us about earlier? Yeah, so, so one, one trend which I think will last for many years to come is, is the merging of the digital and the physical worlds. So this is what one of my colleagues has coined fidgetal. Fidgetal, that's spelled with a PH, combining the physical and the digital. As the world emerges from lockdowns, these hybrid businesses are the ones Malcolm's backing to be dominant. And here's why. Over, over the past 20 years, the, in, the, the internet has sparked a massive uh, digital transformation. And in the early stages of, of this, you know, the, the, it was very much characterised by the emergence of powerful consumer-focused uh, platforms. So we all know the Facebook and Google stories in the West, and many, many know the stories of the likes of Alibaba and Tencent in the East. But subsequently, we've also seen you know, the emergence and massive value creation through the adoption of digital tools within the enterprise um, and the emergence of cloud platforms. So again, yes, the, the likes of Amazon Web Services, but also the likes of Salesforce, more recently businesses like Snowflake. And I think that we're going to actually see a third wave of digitization as the physical world around us is transformed and I think that's going to manifest itself through you know, industrial automation, uh, through much more investment in connected healthcare devices, um, and in, in areas like you know, autonomous transportation, again, huge markets that could be changed very, very significantly. So that's something I think has, has got a long way to run. This, this, this continued digitization of the world, but it coming closer to the physical world, perhaps. If you're listening and thinking, I've never heard of these companies then maybe Malcolm's next lesson to pass on will be of use. Develop an insight network. There's a whole bunch of free-to-access resources out there. Some of my favourites, which offer the sort of the oblique learning on investment and much more, uh, would be the likes of uh, the podcasts from Farnham Street, uh, from Patrick O'Shaughnessy, from Coburn Ventures. These are all things that people could take their time to dip in and out of, that they're all complete treasure troves. And it's that sort of oblique learning that I, I, would, I would encourage people to, to go towards for investment and actually for an awful lot more with regards to how they're running their lives. So when it comes to your insight network, I mean, I might say that, you know, my three stepchildren are probably one of mine. I mean, they were the first place that I heard about TikTok, for example. And uh, you mentioned Spotify. I mean, they were horrified that I was... Um, still paying to download things on, on iTunes. And, you know, they soon sorted that out. I mean, young people can have a real insight into the trends of tomorrow. Well, I mean, I, mean I, I completely agree with that. And, you know, I think that uh, often it's actually speaking to younger investors and younger people more generally where, where I'm picking up information. 
And you know, again, to give you an example of a sort of a consumer-facing product that I'm a big fan of, and you know, we've got an investment in that would be Peloton. Oh. And it, it didn't take a wizard to figure out that the users liked the product. Now, of course, you needed to get comfortable that the unit economics of that business were going to work longer term. I, I actually think that the instinct that many people have about products is one which will actually lead towards good investments. And I, I would I'd absolutely encourage people to, to, to back their instincts there. On a more personal note, Malcolm reckons that investing in a Peloton membership was one of his best decisions of recent years. That's something where I think I've got a pretty darn good return. Uh, And and I've moved away from the gym and all the rest of it, but I've also got huge amounts of activity out of that. Good bit of kit. Most people might just enjoy the workout, but for fund managers, it seems everything is a potential investment opportunity. That's it for Money Clinic's Investment Masterclass this week, and we hope you like what you've heard. If you did, spread the word and leave us a review. And if you would like to chat with me on a future episode of the show, please get in touch. You can email me, our address is money at ft.com, or DM me on Twitter or Instagram. I'm at Claire B. Money Clinic was produced in London by Claire Williamson and Persis Love and edited by Howie Shannon. Our sound engineer is Breen Turner, and the original music is by Metaphor Music. And finally, the Money Clinic podcast is a general discussion around financial topics and does not constitute an investment recommendation or individual financial advice. For that, you'll need to find an independent financial advisor. That's the small print over and done with. See you back here soon. Goodbye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.